Uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for worship. Thank you, Lord, and we praise you that you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be cheered for. Lord, we thank you that we come together. You gather us as a church community, as a church family, to come to learn about you, to hear you, and to be in fellowship. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, teach us, speak to our hearts and our minds, and we ask for your blessing on us here, those who are watching or listening. May you be present, Lord God, and may you speak. We thank you, Jesus, and give you praise in your name. Amen. Now, those of you who know, you know, you should probably guess by now uh, that my favorite sport is football, right? Some of you probably guessed by now. I know this is a football playoff season. Um, I don't know if you enjoy football at all, but football is my favorite sport because it really is like a metaphor for so many life lessons, right? Those of you who are casual watchers or maybe you're not a fan, uh, you just think it's another sport. But, um, and, and I got to admit, while being a fan of football, it's pretty stressful, right? It it's, can be quite disappointing. Last Sunday, I was not in a good mood after the game, and so uh, it can be quite stressful, but there's a lot to appreciate if you understand the game of football. For the casual observer, the goal is just to score a touchdown. You're like, okay, what's the big deal? You, you score a touchdown, and the other team tries to stop you, right? But if you understand the intricacies of football, if you understand the fact that every position on the field Every play call, even every movement of the players within a play is nuanced and specifically intentional for scoring a touchdown. It's pretty remarkable. You can gain an appreciation for what's going on on each and every play. Now, I'm about to relate Jesus' journey to scoring a touchdown. Now you may think, Pastor Mike, you've been gone a little too long. This is, this is quite a stretch here, right? Is this a stretch of an analogy? Probably. But hear me out for a second, okay? When I thought of, you know, I was thinking about Mark and, and looking over the overall study of Mark and Jesus' journey from beginning to end, it really reminded me of a football drive. Watching the game of football, each play, each movement of each player was intentional. The direction the play was going, marching down the field to score, the, the, the purpose, the focus was single and clear. And, and it was all intentional for that purpose. And that's what we'll see in the Gospel of Mark. From beginning to end, there's a clear focus and purpose for what Jesus is journeying to do. And who he is. And we're going to see that from beginning to end. 
from the beginning of his journey to the completion of his journey. Now, since I, I felt like I wasn't with you all last week, although you heard me on video, I felt like I wasn't here. So I want to kind of give a bit of a review of what we looked at last week. And we saw John the Baptist come onto the scene. And it was just as it was prophesied that he would fulfill this role of a forerunner to the coming of the Lord. He was going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And I don't know if you can imagine this, but how would a John the Baptist be received today? If John the Baptist, if John the Baptist was to come today, how would he be received? Can you imagine, like, I don't know, maybe like pick a, pick a beach, Venice Beach, Santa Monica Beach, whatever beach, and some guy who comes onto the beach He's dressed like, you know, maybe he's homeless or something, right? He's not styled. It looks a little rugged. It looks a little, like, bizarre, maybe. And he comes, and he begins to declare. He begins to preach. And he begins to tell people, you need a change in your life. The way you're living your life is not what God desires from you. You need to change your life. You need to recognize that you're in sin, and you need to come to repent. Can you imagine that? You might have seen something like that on a street corner or somewhere, right? Someone's trying to declare that. Can you imagine if this person and what they're saying goes viral? It gets spread out and what he's saying. And people are hearing what this man, this, this someone, whoever this person is, they, they hear this message, you need a change. What you're doing right now in your life is not good. And they begin to be convicted of it. And so they start to go, we need to hear what this guy is all about. We need to check it out. And so all from all the areas, from the San Fernando Valley, people are pouring in. From the San Gabriel Valley, people are traveling. From the Inland Empire, people are coming. Orange County, they're coming. People are all coming in to hear what this man is saying. And his message may not be a popular one, but it was a needed one. And so when they're hearing it, they get stirred up inside. They're hearing and they're feeling like, I need a change. And so they go out into the ocean to get baptized. Because what they're doing is symbolic of what they needed. They need to be clean of what's inside their heart. This is the scene of what's taking place As John the Baptist comes onto the scene, he's there at the Jordan River and he's preaching this message. Now Mark begins his gospel, as we saw last week, he begins his account quoting both Malachi and Isaiah, two prophets in the Old Testament, in the scriptures. And in these passages, right, this voice in the wilderness, this messenger is preparing the people for the coming of the Lord. And if you remember in Isaiah we see this awesome description of the Lord. He is a shepherd for His people. He is the creator of all. He has no equal. Nothing is hidden from Him. Right? Your parents may not be able to see what you're doing when they're not looking, but God sees. He sees us. He doesn't, God doesn't grow tired, but He gives strength to those who are tired and weary. 
And so we see Mark, including these passages, not only speaks of John the Baptist's role, the, the role that he's preparing the people, but it's a profound theological statement and declaration of who Jesus is. Because as he puts it in the beginning of the gospel, he's not just saying what John the Baptist is, but he's declaring who Jesus is. Because in those passages, the message is, the Lord is coming. This is God and God is coming. And so when the gospels, gospel writers put it in the beginning, they're making a profound statement. Jesus is fulfilling the coming of the Lord. He is the one. So it's a profound statement that Mark puts it in there. And we'll see this theme throughout Mark. We'll see that in his journey, Jesus will see his divine authority, authority and description that only is reserved for God. And Jesus is fulfilling this role. If you remember last week, I mentioned in our time in Mark, in our study in Mark, we want to we uh, see three things at least. One, who is Jesus? Let me get that going. Anyways, I'll keep going. Who is Jesus? The second thing, the message and the impact of the gospel of Jesus. And third, we want to strengthen our faith and trust in Jesus. Hopefully we'll do this, accomplish this throughout our study in Mark. Who Jesus is, the message and impact of the gospel of Christ in our life, and our faith and trust in Jesus. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to revisit and go start back up at verse 7, okay? Verse 7, and it reads like this. And as he was preaching and saying, after he being John the Baptist, after me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, people speculate at the time whether John the Baptist was the Messiah. And John the Baptist denied it. He says, I am not the one. But he declares, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to untie his sandals. John knew his mission. His mission was to set the stage. Right? He was the great opener for the main event. I don't know if you've been to a concert. You have opening acts to the main event, right? You have artists who's kind of building up on that excitement, setting the stage, setting the tone for the main event, right? John the Baptist coming on to the scene, and his mission is to prepare people's hearts to receive the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. So John preached his message was to do what is right before the Lord. He called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So his message was repentance for forgiveness. Turn away from what displeases God and seek his forgiveness. Now I mentioned last week that the first step of receiving the gospel, receiving Jesus, is understanding and recognizing the need to repent, right? Before we can believe in Christ, we need to understand, you need a change. You need to repent. If there's something going on, you need to recognize, I'm a sinner. 
I need someone to save me. I need forgiveness of sin. Verse 9. Well, well, before I say that, so that was John's message, right? But that message is not the complete story. It's not the complete gospel. If it would just stay there, all people would have to deal with is that, okay, I do bad things. I'm going to try to do good things. But that's not the full gospel. Let's pick up in verse 9. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now, if John was baptizing people for forgiveness of sin, right? That was the purpose. He's baptizing people that they may seek forgiveness of sin. Why did Jesus come down to be baptized? Why did Jesus come down to be baptized? Well, we know Matthew's account. John the Baptist, when Jesus came, he said, you seek to be baptized by me? I need to be baptized by you. Why did Jesus seek to be baptized? Well, we need to understand, Jesus did not seek baptism. He didn't get baptized for the forgiveness or repentance of his sin. Just as he did not die on the cross for his sin. Right? Jesus died on the cross, the innocent sacrifice, the propitiation for our sin. He was the substitute for our sin. He died in our place. He was innocent. He was was sinless. Yet he died for our sin. So he didn't die for sins, nor was he baptized because he needed to seek forgiveness, that he needed to repent from his sins. Why did he get baptized? Look at Romans chapter 6. I've mentioned this before in previous messages. Chapter 6, verse 3. It says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been baptized with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. I've used this, I admit, an imperfect metaphor before about traveling through a plane, right? If you're to go to, let's say, overseas or New York or something, I assume you're taking a plane, right? If I was to ask you, how did you get to New York? What are you going to say? I flew there, right? When you say, I flew there, what did you do? Did you miraculously get powers to be able to flap your arms and fly there yourself? course not, right? What'd you do? You got on a plane, and the plane flew, and it took you to your destination, right? You didn't fly, the plane flew, but you, by being on the plane, you flew to your destination, right? You see the picture there? Now, this may not be an exact metaphor, but I want us to understand when we say that we were bad, Christ, what Christ did, we were baptized into his death and his resurrection. What Jesus did, he did on our behalf 
so that we can say we were baptized, we were dead, we died to our sin and resurrected to new life. Why? Because of what Christ did for us. It wasn't what we did. There's nothing that we did that we can do it for ourselves. What Christ did for us, he says, you believe in me. And just as I died and was buried and resurrected, you too died to your sin. Your old self is buried and you're resurrected and you have new life. So see, we needed Jesus to come and do for us in full what we would not and could not do on our own. So this symbolism of baptism for us as believers, we're baptized into Christ, baptism representing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus took our place, and when we believe in the name of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're saying we too were baptized. We were baptized into his death and his resurrection and given new life. But also, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Look what happens next. It's great significance what happens next. Verse 10. And immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. There's great significance of the scene. First thing we see, we see the presence of the full Godhead here in this, in this scene. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The voice of the Father speaking. We see the descending of the Holy Spirit like a dove. Now it's not a dove, right? The Holy Spirit didn't take like a dove, become a dove and come down. But it's trying to give, trying to describe the description of what is seen. So the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And here we have the Son of God rising up from the waters. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Distinct identities. They're not the same. They're not just the one. Distinct identities, but always one in nature. Working cooperatively. One does not exist without the other. So we see first the the significance. We see the full Godhead here. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But the second thing we see, we see the Father and the Holy Spirit affirming and declaring Jesus. They're testifying to who Jesus is. He says, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Jesus did not just come onto the scene and just start declaring Himself as the Son of God. He didn't just appear and tell, Hey, I was all alone by myself And God spoke to me and declared me as the eternal Son of God. No. It was revealed in public. And the Father and the Spirit testifying to who Jesus is. And also here, John the Baptist. A witness to the voice of the Father. Seeing the heavens open and the Spirit descending upon Jesus. He was a witness Not to mention whoever else may be there at the time. 
So it was important that there was witnesses. Even more so, John was so convinced that we know in the book of John, John the Baptist is so certain that afterwards, while he continues to baptize, he declares Jesus as the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. It says that in John 1.29. In John 1, 32, 33 through 33, he testifies to the Holy Spirit descending from heaven and remaining upon Jesus. And in verse 34, he bears witness that Jesus is the Son of God. So we see the presence of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We see that the Father and the Spirit testifies and affirms who Jesus is. Third, we see that Jesus fulfills this description of the promised Messiah for the people of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then a a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then also in Isaiah 61 verse 1 The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to the prisoner. We see these passages speaking of this coming one, this Messiah. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 and 21, Jesus, he goes to a synagogue in Nazareth And as it was custom, he goes up and he reads a passage in Isaiah. Want to know what passage he wrote or he read? He read this passage in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to the prisoner. And he says to the people, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says today, I fulfill what has been written in scripture. So you see, in his baptism, as Jesus is baptized, he's fulfilling these two very important roles. The coming Messiah, the coming ruler, the coming king but also the suffering servant. The one who's going to suffer on the behalf of his people. He's going to take the place of the guilty. He is the promised Savior, the one who established God's kingdom, but he's also the Redeemer to take away the sins of the world. Fourthly, what we see in this picture, we see the power and authority in which Jesus would carry out his journey and his ministry. The authority in which he speaks, the power in which he's going to do the miracles will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the authority he speaks. That is the power in which he will do. 
the Holy Spirit descends and rests upon Jesus. So it's a very profound scene that we see here that Jesus is doing here. In this passage we read, we have three mentions of baptisms, right? We have what John the Baptist is doing. He's baptizing people. We have this scene that Jesus comes and he gets baptized, right? But third, we see what John the Baptist says, the one who's coming. I baptize you with water, verse 8. But he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism, a, preach, a, a, a message of repentance. You need a change in your life. Soften your heart to receive Jesus. Jesus' baptism, symbolic of what he's going to do. He's going to die and come to life. But the third one, though, John says that, the, that Jesus is going to, he's going to bring the bat, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in this scene. The Holy Spirit comes to rest on Jesus. We see here the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people have a, a take on what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. I'm not going to get too much into that right now. I'll offer you what I believe what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And that is the baptism reference that we read earlier in Romans 6. That Jesus, or I'm sorry, shall I say, we are buried with Christ, resurrected with Christ, and what completes this picture is the Holy Spirit given to us to dwell in us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit completes this baptism. What we experience, what we come to faith, is the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. That our old self is dead and we're brought to new life and the Holy Spirit dwelling on us. That's what I believe the mention of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned last week when Paul was passing through Ephesus, he came across believers. And there, those believers, they had not yet heard of the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus, but they had not been taught the Holy Spirit. Because the person who taught them, Apollos, he did not know the full gospel. He had to be taught and corrected It wasn't just John's baptism, but the baptism of Christ and what it represents, the full gospel. And so when Paul heard, he told them and taught them about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when he prayed over them, they received the Holy Spirit. And it made me think of today, I think a lot of people today are taught an incomplete gospel, maybe very much like Apollos. They may be able to accept that Jesus died for, for sin. They may even be able to accept resurrection. But they had not heard that there needs to be a transformation that takes place. They can believe in doing good things and being a good person. But that is not enough. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, Christ said, I give you Holy Spirit, to dwell in you. See, the incomplete gospel would say you can be good, you can, but you can't, 
you can do it on your own, and we can't. But we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. When we have baptism Sunday, whatever that may be, the water itself doesn't do anything. It's not magical, right? I tell them, and you've been told that, it's not magical. You're not going to go in the water, and all of a sudden there's something in the water that like does something to you inside. It's not that. It will be the Holy Spirit that transforms you and changes you. And I think too many times the Holy Spirit is kind of left out in the picture. We can say we believe in Jesus, but if we don't allow Him to transform our life, if we don't want to belong to Christ, then you have to consider, do you understand what you are believing in? Do you understand what you are accepting? By accepting Christ and what He's done for you, you're saying, Holy Spirit, God, dwell in me. Transform me. Change me. Help me. I want to belong to you. I don't want to no longer try to control my life. Lord, I belong to you. That is the gospel message. That God says, you need help. I have given you the ultimate help. Not only do I want to give you help, I want to change and transform your life and dwell in you, abide in you, so that you can have new life. Verse 12, it says, And immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, he being Jesus. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels was ministering to him. We're going to take a look at that next week. Jesus is put to the test. As his ministry is about to begin, he has an appointment with the tempter. We're going to take a look at that next week. I'll close with this. What's the application for today? The application for today, meditate and appreciate who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. This is the application. Meditate on it. Think upon who Jesus is and what he has done for you. See, we don't always have to have, well, how does this apply to my, my life kind of lesson? You know what I mean? When we go to sermons, we always want to say, well, okay, well, what, what's in it for me? What's some things that I can do to apply this message? And sometimes we get a little self-centered with what we pull from this message. Sometimes the message, the application is, I want you to, we need to think upon what G, who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Lord, you died for me. You actually want to forgive me. You know not only the sins that I've done, but what I will do, and yet you still love me. You love me so much that you don't want to leave me feeling guilty. You want to change me. You want to transform me. You, you want to give me your Holy Spirit to dwell in me. Think upon that. Meditate on that. Let that soak in. There's your application. This is who God is. 
This is Christ is, and this is what he wants to do for you. He wants to bring healing in your life, wash you clean, and give you newness. He wants to dwell in you. This was Jesus' mission. Repentance, forgiveness, old self buried, new life given, and the Spirit of God dwelling in you. What an amazing thing. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We just thank you so much. Lord, I admit sometimes we can be kind of selfish about church, selfish about the music we worship, selfish about the sermon. We kind of want to, we want it to tickle our ears. We want to hear what we want to hear. We want to know what's the direct application for the problems in my life right now. And Lord, sometimes we just need to know you better, appreciate you more. Think upon your goodness. Think upon about what you've done for us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here or anyone listening who has not yet confessed themselves as sinner before you, who has not yet recognized, Jesus, that you are their Savior, that you died for their sin, you rose from the dead to give them new life. And you want to give your Holy Spirit to dwell in them as a seal that they belong to you. If there's anyone, whether they're sitting in here in the sanctuary or outside or listening online or watching online, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak into their hearts and minds and not delay to confess their sin before you confess you as their Lord and Savior that they may receive your Holy Spirit. You don't need a pastor to do it for you. But just you and the Lord, you can say, Lord, this is what I desire. We give you praise, Jesus, for you are good. In your name, amen.